You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. So we're continuing our series, Disconnect. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn there. If you don't have your Bibles with you, please look on your phone or look at the the Bible in the pew. We would love for you to follow along. I'm going to be reading a pretty long section in chapter 17, starting with verse 16. A little bit of a preface. I'm going to explain right up front what I'm going to do with this message, all right? Um, We're in a disconnected series, and it is very important, as Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy has shared the last couple of weeks, we need to disconnect from the world. We need to disconnect from our, our phones. We need to disconnect from all the lies that are being pushed upon us. But in that period of disconnect, you can't just retreat and you can't just avoid. You also have to be proactive to be truly disconnected from the world and connected to Christ because he has called all of us to be disciples and we're supposed to share the gospel. We're supposed to make disciples. So in order to do that, we have to do some truth telling. We have to share truth with other people. But in the world that we live in is becoming more and more difficult to share truth. Because sometimes people are very antagonistic towards the truth. And sometimes they will accuse you of being, using hate speech to even tell the truth. Or you, you, they'll tell you your line telling the truth. And even be called a bigot. So all these, all these different things. And so it's like, how do you go into the world that is very ungodly and very even antagonistic towards the one true God? And how do you tell the truth? So my goal today is to use a story of Paul to pull some points and pull some, some key reminders of how we can tell the truth to a world that is not always uh, positive towards the truth. All right, so that's the goal this morning. Let's work on uh, reading from verse 16 in chapter 17. Paul, in the whole second half of Acts, Paul is going on missionary uh, journey after missionary journey, and he's spreading the gospel. That's all that the second half of Acts is about. And in particular, he has just gotten kicked out of Thessalonica, and, and he got kicked out of Berea. He, everywhere he goes, he gets kicked out, all right? He shares the gospel, but eventually um, people that are very antagonistic against the gospel will try to get him k- killed or at least thrown in prison, and so he has to leave. So now he's going to Athens, and I, I find it very interesting how he deals with the people of Athens. So let's go ahead and read here, starting in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things. And we want you to know, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. All right, I'm going to pause here for a second. So one of the reasons why I really wanted to share this particular story, because I I think there's some parallels to the world that we live in. So Paul is walking down the streets 
And he's just burdened for these people because everywhere he goes, he sees idol after idol after idol. And all these people laying down gifts at, the, at these idols and bowing down to these idols and worshiping these idols. And he's like, ah, they don't know the truth. They don't know about the one true God. And he's burdened for them. And very much so in the world that we live today, more and more so, people don't know anything about the one true God. We used to consider ourselves a Christian nation, but we cannot think of it that way anymore. It is remarkable how many people don't even know what the Bible says in any way, shape, or form. They literally don't know the gospel message. It's not that they rejected it. They literally don't know it. And I know that we're kind of protected here in the, in the Bible belt. We have a little bubble here. But even in town, you'll have people, if you walk up and, and start talking, you'll realize they really don't know what you're talking about with the gospel. But certainly in other parts of this country, they know even less about this. And while this, country, this nation of Athens worshipped all kinds of different idols, we don't think of people as worshiping idols here, but I honestly think that we have even more idols in America because we idolize ourselves. We have basically made ourselves an idol. And this goes back, all the way back to the age of the Enlightenment, back into the 1800s, and even there were seeds of this idea even beforehand. But especially during the 1800s, this idea really started to grow that there is no God or that God is dead or that religion is the opiate of the masses. And with the combination of, of, of Darwin kind of putting forward this theory of evolution, suddenly people had a reason possibly to take God out of the mix. And so they tried very hard to push God out of society, out of government, out of society, out of people's lives. And what filled that vacuum wasn't another God, it was a humanistic mentality that we are what matter that what we think and what we believe is truth. And we started creating our own sense of truth. And this has been going on for the last couple hundred years and you can really see it manifest now where people, whatever they say that we talk about our truth and we gotta speak our truth and we gotta realize who we really are and our authentic self and really it is a worship of self and whatever our ideas and, and beliefs are, that is the only thing that matters. And if you speak something against my truth, then you are committing violence against me and you are harming me because we are our own gods and we want to be worshiped. And so that is the mentality that we've gone through and we'll talk about the implications of that a little bit more later in the message but this is what we're dealing with. And so I'm, I'm burdened too. I'm burdened with how many people are trying to be their own gods and finding how empty that life is because we are not capable of being our own God. And so the first thing I wanna re remind us, the first point I wanna make is this. When telling the truth, we have to make sure our motivation is love. We have to make sure our motivation is love. In this particular instance, it's clear that Paul's motivation is love. He's not going into these debates because he wants to be right. He's going into these debates because he sees that these people are lost and they're going the wrong way. They're worshiping all these other idols and he, his heart's breaking for that because he knows the truth. And it's not that Paul thinks he's better than any of these people that he's preaching to. He knows he's not. Paul refers to himself as a chief sinner. He's the worst of them all in his mindset. He was committing murder. He was antagonistic towards his Lord and Savior. And so it's not from a, a place of arrogance. It's a burden because he is, he is, God literally showed him the light. And so he stumbled across the truth. 
And because he knows the truth, he wants to share it with people. And if you want to tell your kids the truth, if you want to tell your friends the truth, if you want to tell your neighbors and your coworkers the truth, then you better make sure that your motivation is love. Do you care for them? Do you care about their eternal destination? Do you want what's best for them? Because if your motivation is arrogance or being right, that will come across and it will come across poorly. They will resent that because pride and arrogance is the opposite of Jesus. He is the very essence of humility and love. And so if you project something that is the opposite of Christ while telling them about Christ, it's gonna do absolutely no good. And so our motivation must be humility and love and come to them. And it's okay, and and they have to see that you care. So our actions should model that we care in every way, shape, and form before that we're going and approaching them in love. And when we come across in our speech, it should be, again, love. And so he goes to them in love and begins to have these arguments. Now, but they're, they're debates. They're not shouting matches. He's express, expressing what he believes and they're asking him questions. And so it's a beautiful interchange. But I want to show you where he goes with this. So verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. This is brilliant. I mean, this is really beautiful debating here on Paul's part. And this brings me to the second point, the thing that we need to consider when we're telling the truth. And that is that we need to find common ground. We need to find common ground. Here they have all these idols and one of these idols because they are very worried about not offending any gods, okay? So they literally have an idol set up that says to the unknown God. And Paul goes, you know what? I know the unknown God. This God that you don't know, I serve him. And this is a God that created all the heavens and the earth. And this would have been mind-blowing to the Greeks, because they believed that all these different gods had different parts of creation and played their different roles. So that one God created all the heavens and the earth and rules over all and is in all and is it's all about him. This is mind blowing to them, but it's relatable. He even references their prophets have talked about that we are his, a God's offspring. He's saying, this is true. God birthed us too, all right? 
He created us in his own image. And so he's explaining this in, in terms that they can relate to. And I'm telling you, even as much opposition there is in the world and how different they think about things, you can find common ground with them. There are lots of things to find common ground about. And one of them is what Paul talks about here, creation. We look at this world and we have to be blown away about it when we think about it. It's so intricate, it's so detailed, it's so vast. I don't know if you've been paying any attention to all these pictures coming in from the, the NASA telescope and just out in space. I mean, they're just mind-blowing, beautiful, crazy pictures. And it reminds us of just how vast this universe is. And no one, if they're being serious, no one thinks that this universe just got birthed into no, by nothing. Like somehow this, this amazing universe just, just came to be by random chance. No one who's being serious thinks that. And you might say, well, there's some atheists that believe that. No, not, e not even the diehard atheists believe that. Because if you, you pin them down on what they believe on how this universe was designed, they will, they will share some kind of crazy theory about aliens planting seeds of the universe. And that's how it began. They believe that a very intelligent life form came and dropped and planted the seeds of the universe, which caused it to have this big bang and then the evolutionary process. Because there, there is no way for it to begin. There's no explanation without some kind of intelligent designer creating it. Now, how an alien that's intelligent enough to birth a universe is not a god, I don't know. But that is, that is the, how they, they work around. There is no workaround with how amazing this creation is. And so if you can get people talking about, well, what do you believe about how we got here? What do you think a purpose of life is? And you start talking about how beautiful creation is and that you believe that there's a creator God, you, can, you have common ground to start working on. Another common ground that you can talk with people is Life or death, everyone's going to die at some point. So we have commonality there. And people, when they start facing mortality, are more and more open to talking about what happens when you die. Now, some people want to hold on that, that nothing happens, but the vast majority of people want to believe something happens after you die and do believe that there's something that's gonna happen afterwards. So if you get them talking about what the next life will be like and start pinning them down on what they believe about that next life, it opens up doors of conversation where you can share about your beliefs and it's not feeling like it's heavy handed or you're speaking down to them, you're just sharing your beliefs. So commonality, common ground. Another good one that you can come up with, especially in this day and age, is talking about equality talking about rights for the lesser thans, talking about the rights for the, the elderly, the disabled, the, the women, the people that are down to on the third world countries, all these kind of things. But we believe that all people are created equal, all right? We believe that everyone has the same intrinsic value because we were made in God's image and that we are his image bearers and that we, there's equality. But that is not a normal way of thinking. The world wants equality, but they don't think about what's the basis for equality because atheism can't be the basis for equality. We've taken atheism to its natural conclusions and they are dire. When the governments started going down that path, we have Hitler and Stalin and Mao, they removed God from society. And the natural conclusion is 
that if people are too old or if they are disabled or if they're an inferior race or they don't do you in the society any good, you kill them. You get rid of them. You don't help them. And, and there were millions, tens of millions of people that were wiped out because they went down that logical conclusion of if it's survival of the fittest and we're just here from natural chance and there is no good loving God, then there's no reason why we can't do these things. And if you go with other religions, I take Hinduism. The natural conclusion of Hinduism is that there is, is karma and everyone gets what they deserve. So if you are born into poverty, you deserve to be born in poverty. If you are born with a disability, you deserve to have that. And so in their religious system, they have a caste system where you can't go to an upper level society. And they actually have a, a caste system, a, le- a level that's called the untouchables, where you are not even allowed to help people in that level. You're not allowed to touch them. They're discarded and they live in slums and they're destined to die at a young age in in brutal conditions. This is the, the people group that Mother Teresa would go into and actually touch and minister to and love on because she believed in Jesus. But that society, because of their religion, doesn't even believe that they are deserving of help. And then you have Buddhism, which is actually you try to shield yourself from any kind of pain and hardship. And you kind of uh, just detach from the world. So you don't worry about the people that have less, the people that are struggling. Your goal, the greater good, is to disconnect from the world and just worry about yourself and just find peace on your own hand. And the natural conclusion of that, you've seen in the, in the area around there, and there have been, pe- that babies are left to die on hillsides. And people are brutally murdered. And because they don't believe of the intrinsic worth, worth of different people. And then you have the Muslim religion. And you have Sharia law. And you have women subjugated. You have it, homosexuals are, are supposed to be beheaded. And all these different things that are going on that people are treated as second-class citizens in certain categories um, and children until they reach adulthood are, are treated the same way. They don't have the same mentality. It comes from their belief system. So where does this idea of equality come from? It doesn't come from any of those. It comes from Judeo-Christian ethics. Jesus came into the world, he changed everything. He elevated women to a different status altogether by, by sitting at them with, at, with them at the well, all right, and welcoming them into salvation, revealing himself to the, the first witnesses were women. Over and over again, he treated them with love and kindness and care. And he said, suffer the little children to come to me. He raised children to a whole new status. All of that was birthed out of the love of Christ and how he, each of us are valuable in God's eyes. And so if you start asking them questions about why they believe in equality for people and why different things should happen, this whole idea that we're all united and all one, one race, that's straight from the teachings of Paul. There's no slave or, or there's no master, no slave. There's no Jew, no Gentile. There's no male, female. We're all united as one in Christ. We all have equal status in his eyes. That idea of, of, of doing away with discrimination and, do, and all those things, it comes from Jesus. 
which is another thing that we can find common ground on. Because people will inevitably ask you, okay, what about all the messed up things that have happened in the church? What about slavery in America? The biggest blights on both America and the church, slavery. How can you justify it? There is absolutely no excuse. But that's what you tell people who ask you about that. That's not Jesus. That's not how he said to act at all. That was people going their own way and serving themselves, not Jesus. Civil rights, so many churches leading the front lines of segregation, wanting segregation. That's disgusting. There's no excuse for that. That's the opposite of Jesus. But we can find common ground because we can say those things. Because it's not about what the church did. It's about who Jesus is. And the church, anytime the church deviates from living like Jesus, then that's not the church at all. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. That's a church serving its own self-interests. And another one, the way the church handled homosexuality. It's repulsive, the level of hate and animosity that the church had towards people who struggled with same-sex tendencies. There was no love. There was no coming around and helping them. There was just nothing but mistreatment, and we've been paying for those sins for the last 20, 30 years or more. So admit our flaws and point to Jesus. Common ground. Paul is admitting his flaws too. Look, I killed people. I did wrong. I lived the wrong way. I'm not better than you. I'm just a blind man that was shown the light. And now that I have the truth, I want to share this with other people. Because I want you to know the truth. Because God is good. He loved us. And look at this part that he has in here. He says, what what our purpose? His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And we always complain that why doesn't God make himself clear? Why doesn't he reveal himself in a more tangible way? He has revealed himself in so many clear ways. And he gave us this book to make things perfectly clear. And so he's going to allow people that refuse to listen and be hard-hearted to go down the path that they want, which is to serve themselves and do their own thing. He's going to allow that, but he is always near, always whispering in our ears, always pointing us in the right direction. His goal, the reason he created us was to have relationship with us. He believed in it so strongly that even when we rejected him and turned away from him, he says, no, I'm not going to let you go that easily. And he sent his own son, his one and only son down to model the life we were supposed to live in in dedication to God, in relationship with God. And then he allowed that son to give his life on the cross for us to pay for our sins so that we had the opportunity to be reunited with God and spend all eternity with him. That is good news. That is good news. And that is what we're trying to share with people. So we find common ground. I'm going to keep reading now and finish out this section. And so verse 30. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. 
and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. He gets a little complicated here. But what he is saying here is he is saying now is a time to repent, all right? He did all these good things. He's the creator of everything. But you know what? The world rejected him. The world turned away from him. But now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and reunite with God. And he has sent this one chosen person to reveal this. And he's talking about Jesus. And he proved that this is the person that he sent, that, this, that Jesus really was his messenger because he raised him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. This is my third point I want to share with you. Is that we need to be planting seeds, not flags. We need to be planting seeds, not flags. And let me break that down. So often it seems like the people who actually do go out and evangelize, and it's, and it's fewer and fewer, it seems, every year, but the people that do do it, it's almost like they seem like they're trying to win. They're trying to win the arguments. They're trying to win people to the Lord. They're trying to secure the salvation. We, we have no control over whether people are going to give their hearts to Jesus, right? And it's not about winning. The goal is to love them and do what we can to soften their heart towards the gospel. Through our lives, through our speech, through our questions, through our debates and, 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 and discussions, we are trying to bring them closer. And so I want to let you take the responsibility off your shoulders because it doesn't belong there, all right? Don't look to close the deal. Just try to be led by the Holy Spirit and plant seeds, just ask questions. Just show people love. Just get them thinking about their, their next life. Get them thinking about what's going wrong with their current life. Show them a better way through your actions and through your questions and through the discussions that you have in a gentle and loving way. And when you plant those seeds, don't be afraid to let someone else reap the harvest. Walk away when it's time to walk away. Paul walked away. He shared the gospel, and then he walked away. And he didn't dust his, his, feet, his hands off and his feet and say, you know, judgment to you until they kicked him out, all right? He was there. He took all the verbal abuse. He took all the mockery. He did all those things until his life was in danger, and then he got out, okay? And so don't be quick to turn away just because they, they, they mock you or refuse to accept what you say right then. Keep trying, keep planting seeds, and don't worry about closing the deal. God will close the deal when it's in his timing, in his way. But the last thing I want to leave you with is this. We need to continue to grow in our own understanding. We need to continue to grow in our own understanding. We need to pursue Christ. We need to be in scripture to know the truth. We need to be meeting with fellow believers and having tough discussions so that we're prepared to have tough discussions with the world. We need to be growing in our understanding of how to answer the world's questions. I'm, I'm burdened for the church. I, there, I believe there are a lot of people that attend church that would not be able to defend their faith against someone that knew that they were talking about 
a skeptic from the world. And so we need to be seeking our own understanding. And when we're engaging with people, we're not only thinking about what we already know. We need to be learning from them too. We need to be considering what they're saying and not come in with a closed mind. How can you expect them to have an open mind if you have a closed mind? So you go in and listen to them, hear them out, try to understand and be in their shoes so you can speak from a place of love and grow your own understanding and keep pursuing a better understanding of Jesus and his word. And so uh, because I feel passionate about this, I'm I'm announcing a couple different things. One, just know behind the scenes that we're going to grow uh, our video collection where I, I will tackle the really tough topics and do apologetic stuff and, and really do, deal with controversial questions, all kinds of different things. We're going to grow a library. I did a Q&A series with the Life Groups uh, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, um, that tackled a lot of controversial topics, a lot of the hard questions, a lot of the questions that skeptics often ask Christians. And so that is already available you can email me and give you, I give you access. Or if you are in a life group, you already have access to that. But I want to, I'm going to grow that library, try to make them even shorter videos so that people just have quick answers to the questions so that we have a foundation of knowledge. I am also going to start doing an apologetics class the first and third Tuesday of every month. Um, and I'll do that until it's no longer needed. Um, but that's going to be the first and, and third Tuesday of every month. If you're interested in that, you can just register like you would uh, on the events page. Um, but the reason I, what, I'll tell you how I'm going to start it off. I'm going to start it off by wanting to explain how we know we can trust the Bible. Well, I want to share all the evidence there is for this really is the word of God. And we can trust that this is accurate and that we have had been passed down to us. So I'm going to start there, but I'm also going to have a time every, every night that we do that where I just open up the Q&A and field questions. And I'm going to allow people to submit their questions, and I'll talk about those in future weeks. But I want to, there to be no excuse. No excuse that we don't know the truth and we don't know how to respond to the difficult questions in the world. I'll be perfectly honest, um, one of the reasons why I got so burdened about this is my own, my own family, all right, my own family. Um, I was in bed watching football um, with my wife. Um, we were, I uh, got her into fantasy football, which is one of the best things I've ever done in my life, because now she wants to watch football all the time with me to make sure her players are doing well. It's beautiful. Guys, that's the tip for free for you. Um, but we were watching football. But I was also scrolling Twitter. Um, I got on there when I became an author because that's supposed to be what you're supposed to do, right? Um, Twitter is often like a cesspool, right? But there's all kinds of really interesting discussions on there. Um, and one in particular, um, I, was, I was sharing with my wife an, an article I read about how there's a growing movement where the LGB community is really angry with the trans community and they're kind of like going at it right now. And I was talking to her about it and my son, um, oldest son walked in, he's 13 years old. He just wanted to come hang out and watch football and see what we were doing. And so he comes walking in and I like to stir the pot. That's just, just what I do. I like to ask tough questions and put people on the spot. So I was like, hey, Carson, uh, what do you think about the whole trans movement? And this is, this is what he did. He was walking in and he goes, And I'm like, wait, wait, I'm like, wait, what, what are you doing? Like, where are you going? What, what do you think? No, seriously, what do you think God thinks about the whole thing? And he just goes, and he closed the door and he's like, I don't, I don't know. And he closed the door and he walked away. And I'm like, man, like I have a problem with that. My, my own son 
doesn't know answers to tough questions. It doesn't know where in the Bible to go to explain things. And it doesn't know how to talk about these things. And, and there's some really hard questions out there. And so I wanna create a platform where we have an avenue where we can talk about these things and we can have answers to these questions. And so that's what those Tuesday nights will go, are gonna be about. Um, I, literally no topic will be off limits, but we will talk about them in, in a small group setting where we can have back and forth discussion. Um, and it's because I think that is important where people are able to speak and be heard and listened to. But I will come in each of those sessions and have something to talk about. We really, we need to grow our own understanding. We need to be fully formed followers of Christ, knowing the gospel inside and out and all the ins and outs with that. And that is going to feed us and grow us and our roots will grow down deeper. And so when the winds of the world come crashing through, we won't fall over. We won't be toppled. We won't have people deconstructing and leaving the faith. That is my heart and that's my goal with this. All right, that's all I have for you. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to share some of your truths this morning. And I pray that we will be a people that seek truth. We don't just rest in complacency on the few little things that we know, but that we never stop learning. We never stop growing. We never stop loving the people around us enough to ask the hard questions, to do the hard things, to sacrifice for them, because we know that you love them. Help us to lead our kids well. Help us to lead our family groups well, our, our, our friendship groups, our work environment. Help us be leaders that step out in faith and tell others the truth about you. Thank you for all that you do for us. Help us continue to pursue you all the days of our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.